It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, the way companies are using credit scores is changing. I'm going to tell you what you need to know. Also, QR codes have been around forever. And in other places in the world, they've been used forever. But in the United States, they just kind of sat there till the pandemic. They're now here to stay. But there's some things you need to know about QR codes and how they invade your privacy. So we got to talk. I think about the calls I get that are kind of like UFO calls. Somebody will say, hey, you know, I have great credit. And suddenly, my credit limit on my credit card gets cut by this huge amount of money. Or I'm sitting there with my credit being just okay, and I get a letter, congratulations from my credit card issuer, raising my limit out of nowhere. Didn't even ask for it. By the way, I got one of those letters the other day. It's funny. I had a credit card. I asked for a limit increase months ago and got turned down. And then out of nowhere, I got a congratulatory letter months and months later saying, because of your outstanding credit, we have raised your credit limit. Well, part of this is pandemic-related, that lenders got really scared starting March of last year and shut off people's credit, reduced their lines, all that kind of stuff. But there's something deeper and bigger going on, and that is lenders are assessing you differently one to another. Lenders are willing to take on, one lender may be willing to take on more risk. Another lender, because of their own issues, may be willing to take on less risk. Uh, One thing that's been talked about a lot in financial publications is that a number of the big lenders are using their own proprietary evaluations of people based on your experience with them as a customer. So if you've been with an issuer for a good while and they're big enough that they can have the sophisticated tools, they're evaluating you based on your payment patterns, your charge patterns, uh, and how you handle the credit you have that are things that may not be apparent with traditional credit scoring. You know, I've told you in the past that credit granters check as an existing customer, they're checking your FICO score every single month. They may use their competitor advantage, but they're checking every month. That's why when you sign into any of your credit card accounts, usually you can see your current FICO score right then and there. I went on my Navy Federal app the other day, and I was doing a transaction there, and then I saw the thing where I could see my FICO score. And just click on it, there it was. So they're looking at it every 30 days to see if you should be booted or not or uh, try to lure in more business from you or whatever it is. But also there's this other thing where lenders feel like if you've been with them a substantial period of time, they have enough scoop on you that if they see changes in pattern things that would not normally show up in a normal accumulation of data with Equifax, TransUnion, or Experian, 
they may in fact make a decision that hurts you or helps you based on what they know about you from being an existing customer. Here's the other thing too. The way a lender will treat you as a new applicant for credit, remember you're going to have the same credit profile you present to different lenders. What you're approved for, what you're denied for, um, what interest rate you're offered and all the rest, whether we're talking mortgages, credit cards, auto loans, same profile person could get very different offers based on how hungry that particular lender is for business. You know, one of the areas I see people harm themselves the most in the wallet is with vehicle loans. You know, people are spending a lot of money on vehicles these days, and they tend to take out loans a lot longer than I want you to take on. And so the interest rate you're paying becomes much more important than it ever used to be for vehicle loans. And there's a huge spread now for the same person simply by doing your homework and shopping around. And if you've listened to me for a long time, you know that 80% of people do this wrong. This is when there's a right and a wrong. And this is what's wrong. Getting your vehicle loan from the dealer. Most people, out of convenience or impulse, end up going to the F&I department, financial insurance department at a dealer, and say, okay, so what are you going to do for me? And they will look at a wholesale sheet, and maybe they see your wholesale rate is 2.5% is what you should be getting. And then they'll say, oh, well, we got you qualified for 8%. And they just sit there. You say, oh, great, I qualified for the vehicle. Let's do it. Many times they won't even tell you the rate. They'll say, oh, you qualified. Your monthly payment's going to be so-and-so. And then you'll sign the paperwork, which has gotten tougher because a lot of dealers are using these um, screens that are like tablets. And it's impossible to read anything you're agreeing to on those. Forget it. And you're agreeing to who knows what for a loan. But if you don't shop for your loan, as hard as you shop for the vehicle, you're throwing money away that could be in the thousands of dollars over the life of a vehicle loan. And these rules apply with mortgages. You know, right now, these mortgage refi rates for people with great credit are ridiculously low, potentially in the ones. I mean, who would ever thought? So how do you get those? Remember I said potentially. You got to shop, 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 and shop. Up to you, Krista. Uh, speaking of FICO, Eric in California says there have been recent news reports that FICO scores are losing popularity and being replaced by bank internal scores. If this is true, then what happens to credit bureaus and my credit freeze protection? Eric, wonderful question. So this touches right to what I'm talking about. I think the story you read was a Wall Street Journal or Barron's story about the big banks trying as much as they can to turn away from FICO. FICO has a near monopoly on credit scores, and the banks don't like it. And the biggest banks, so you think the giant monster megas, they're all big enough to have their own uh, analytics department to come up with continuous risk profiles on all their existing customers and potentially on new ones. 
So what is going to happen to Equifax, TransUnion, Experian? What's going to happen to FICO? I think they'll face more competition and more ways of doing things. That's already happening. You may have heard me talk about Petal Card, P-E-T-A-L Card, that uses non-traditional methods to evaluate people not based on credit history alone and not based on a FICO score. So we're going to see more and more of that kind of thing as um, massive computing makes it possible for people to do proprietary numbers crunching. But the idea of Equifax TransUnion Experian going away, no, that's not happening for, for a long, long time. FICO becoming a little less important, that is happening real time as we're talking. So what happens with credit freeze? So let's say Clark's Bank. I can't say Clark's Bank. Clark's Credit Union, because <laughs> I mean I just I just insulted myself calling myself a bank. Anyway, so Clark's Credit Union is coming up with a new credit product for people. And I don't use Equifax TransUnion or Experian. I use my own internal analytics. I'm not going to know that your credit's frozen, and a fraudster could exploit that potentially to apply for credit as if they're you. And so that is uh, something not yet something you need to worry about, but that's obviously going to be a factor in the future, and we need to come up with a new way that's more extensive of protecting people's identity than what we have right now. Barbara is also in California, and she says, my dishwasher would cost $646.67 to fix the control panel. That is more than the dishwasher cost. The appliance repairman said that this is the way it is right now because appliances are only made to last four years. Must we replace them every four years? He also said the only extended warranty that is any good comes from the manufacturer. Something has to be done about this. So Barbara, he's definitely right that the only extended warranty that is any good on most any product is one that comes typically from the manufacturer. Um, is saying that dishwashers today are made to only last four years or less. Um, I've heard that kind of thing, but I don't think that that is really true, although appliances don't seem to be as reliable as they used to be. Uh, think about things like irons or vacuums that used to last forever and now don't seem to last very long. On the dishwasher, you're so right. You can buy one that Consumer Reports highly recommends for less than the cost of fixing it. And the great news, I don't remember if I've addressed this on a podcast yet, Krista. You tell me if I just have my typical memory like none. That appliances that have been an extreme short supply the supply constraints on major appliances have gotten much less bad and appliances are generally much more available than they were last year and we're starting to see sales again on appliances. Not back to the prices from 19, but the prices have gotten better. Had I said that already? I don't remember you saying that. Okay, good. So I wasn't Pete and repeat there. Derek in Georgia says, I purchased two concert tickets two weeks ago for a total of $361. Today, the same section and two seats next to my seats are $163. I called the company and they will not refund anything. What can I do? Derek, 
the concert space is bad, ugly with pricing, much like the airlines. They now, in the concert business, are using dynamic demand pricing. And with dynamic demand pricing, the price of just like an airline ticket can change in price on the same flight, same date, same time, can change dozens of times a day. Concerts are doing that as well. There is some experimentation going on with um, sports tickets as well in this way. So they're trying to find what is the amount of money for a concert that maximizes the revenue and maximizes attendance. And so this is a case where the more reluctant shopper who keeps checking prices on concert tickets has the duality of the possibility of not being able to go to the show, but also the possibility of paying a lot less money for the show. And I'm really sorry, um, there's, you know, I'm not into music, so I would always be price-driven. There are other people who the band or singer or performer is somebody you just gotta, gotta, gotta see in person. That's two diametrically opposed poles, and most people are between those two. And that's what dynamic demand pricing tries to do is find that sweet spot that gets as much money as they possibly can for every ticket. In the case of the concert you were looking at, there wasn't as much demand as it appeared there would be. And so the prices start going down. So I hope for twice the money, you have twice the fun of the people next to you. Actually, it's more than twice the money. I hope you have three times the fun of the people who end up sitting next to you. And by now, anybody who's been eating out during the pandemic is really familiar with QR codes. And you scan it on your phone. It pulls up the restaurant menu. I I talked about an experience where I paid for, ordered, paid for a meal, everything with a QR code on my phone very common now, but do you know this is the thing moving forward? But do you know there's privacy issues with it that you need to know? And I'm going to talk about that straight ahead. When people are polled, they always tell pollsters how concerned they are about their privacy. But what people say isn't really what they do. So I'm going to tell you something about privacy invasions and let you know what the consequences are sometimes and tell you a lot of crazy stuff that's going on. So first thing, Apple did it brilliantly for its customer base. Apple, with an iOS update, changed things where for apps, you got to choose whether or not the app invaded your privacy and how much. Facebook has been beside itself because people, once they were given that simple question, do you want Facebook to know everything about you, including what color underwear you're wearing right now, if you're wearing any? I mean, it is so invasive what Facebook does. And iPhone customers overwhelmingly have said, I don't want Facebook doing all that stuff. And Facebook is like just dying because now 
they don't have the deep dive data on you if you use an iPhone like they had before. And so that's a case that's so different than normal and that normally people talk a good game, but you get hit with these privacy disclosures and all that. You can't figure out what to click or anything like that. Apple did such a great job in plain English saying, do you want them to be able to do this? Do you want them to be able to do that? Do you want them to be able to do this other thing? And you were able to say, no, no, no. And so it changed the equation. And so I love what Apple did where you're making that choice and it's obvious to you. But we're in a constant push and pull about it. You know, Amazon wants these Alexa devices. Oh, I said the word. They want the Echo devices in people's homes. I'm never supposed to say that word, A-L-E-X-A, because then somebody's device mm-hmm. might start speaking to them. So I apologize to anybody that I just caused that to happen. Anyway, Amazon is getting more and more aggressive at trying to get those devices, the various Echo-capable things, in your home, in your office, everywhere you go, every room in your home, so they can spy on you around the clock. Now, the latest allegation is Amazon wants to put radar in these Echo devices that people refer to as A-L-E-X-A that are able to monitor your sleep and not for a good reason. It gives them a lot of deep dive uh, marketing information to try to sell you more stuff. Amazon doesn't care how many billions they lose on the Echo technology because of how much money they make by being in your home and spying on you every possible way. Remember when these devices started, they were more about making it easy for you to just be able to talk to the device and order stuff and reorder stuff. But then they learned there was a lot more deep data to be made available. So we have not uh, one of those devices, not any of them in our home. And I dare say we won't in the future. My wife has made me restrict the use of the Google devices. And so we have uh, one in our kitchen and we have one in our den. But that's it now, where before I had them all over the place. She is made uncomfortable by them listening all the time. And as you may have heard with Amazon, they reserve the right and have people who, without your specific permission, listen in on what's going on in your conversations, even when you're not doing an inquiry to the Echo technology, they have people that are paid to listen to what's going on in your home. So you've got the thing that Apple's done, which is a really good thing. you got what Facebook's been doing, which I find very intrusive. You have what Amazon's been doing, which I think is very, very, very unacceptably intrusive. And then we have something that seems so innocent. During the pandemic, restaurants not wanting to hand out menus because then they'd have to sanitize them and all that. And so they have been able to implement what's been the thing everywhere else in the world, including the third world forever, that Americans never adapted to till now. And that's the QR code. So the QR code 
was a quick rush kind of thing for the restaurants to allow you to pull up the menu and the more sophisticated ones you can order on them, you can pay on the, um, it's basically like a web app that appears on your phone and they can instantly change prices. They can put in new specials. It's very flexible. But also now the privacy people are getting really worried because the restaurants are using a lot of these QR codes that can now track you and build a profile on you. And you start getting very specific messages. Uh, There's a deal on the calamari that you ordered last time or whatever. So it is an invasive kind of thing. But the QR codes, because of what happened during the pandemic with the restaurants, are appearing so many different ways and places. Christy, you got to tell me the funny thing you just got in the mail. I got a beautiful wedding invitation, printed wedding invitation, and then it had a QR code on it. Like actually paper. It was beautiful paper. Yeah, really nice. Loved it for a wonderful couple. And it had a QR code in the back. You could scan, go into reply. You could respond. And it pulled up my name and my husband's name to check if we're coming, each of us, so that there's no like extra guests coming kind of a thing. I think that was very smart. And then um, it had the, then it took you to the registries um, that you could click immediately and go through to buy a gift if you wanted to or make a donation kind of a thing. And, um, and it asked me how I wanted to receive my my receipt for my response if I wanted a text or an email. So I chose an email. I was like, wow, it was pretty amazing. And it took you right to their wedding site and all the information you'd need. So so this is like the wedding equivalent, wedding invitation equivalent of bricks and clicks. Yes. That you got a traditional, old-fashioned wedding invitation in the mail. Yep. But from that point, everything was based on the QR code and everything was electronic from there, mm-hmm. which is very important because nobody ever, uh, if you're somebody who does, you're the exception, nobody ever RSVPs to a wedding where you have to fill in a card and what? mail it in. The, I, the response rate is tiny. That's crazy. People have to call and say, hey, are you coming or not? Because people don't mail those back. Wow. A lot of people don't really connect anymore to this thing called the post office where you put <laughs> on a stamp and you mail something, the stamp is 55 cents now, I think. You don't know either? I don't know. I've got like old Christmas forever stamps I've from got, years ago that I use. So <laughs> I, I bought, okay, true story. I bought a ton of forever Santa Claus stamps when Costco did a December special. That's when I got them. Oh, you did it yeah, too? Yeah, that's what I have. I mean, they <laughs> they lost money on that. They, it was a novelty and they were selling stamps several cents per stamp below cost if you bought these Santa Claus stamps. So anytime I ever have to put a stamp on something, you gotta, you're going to have Santa saying hi to you Christmas in July. I Whatever month, you're going to see a Santa stamp. All right, should we get to some questions? Sure, let's this do it. from Andrew in Iowa. Many of your shows cover the lack of protections we have when we use Venmo or Cash App. Do we have any more protections when we connect Venmo or Cash App to a credit card? Great question, Andrew. So when you use Venmo or Cash App to pay, let's say, a merchant, and the merchant turns out to be a fraudster, fails to deliver goods or anything like that, your protections are zero. If you pay with a credit card, which you're going to have to pay Venmo or Cash App potentially 
a fee to use a credit card instead of having it come out of your checking account, you will normally not have the protections that come with a credit card. Because remember, Venmo and Cash App, unless you specifically say you're paying a merchant for goods or services, you're checking that you're paying an individual, like the idea of paying a friend or family member. So you would have to have a financial institution, a credit union or bank, that is very, very customer-friendly, as I understand the regulations, to help you out with a Venmo or Cash App payment that goes bad, even if you paid by credit card. And from Elisa in Georgia, there was a concern that the 5G phones may be a security risk. Has this possibility been explored? So, Elisa, that came up involving Huawei. And there was a lot of concern, not with the phones, but the 5G guts of the, of the infrastructure on the towers and the, the hardware and software used to bring 5G to life. That's why in the United States and several other allies in the United States, Huawei has been banned from the sale and distribution of their tower hardware, and software equipment in a number of countries because there was concern that the communist government of China was going to use the Huawei uh, hardware and software to spy on people. So that's why there was all the brouhaha with Huawei. It wasn't specifically about their phones. It was about the entire 5G infrastructure. From Dan in Michigan, are these electric bill reducers worth the effort? One ad claims 91% savings on the electricity bill. Just plug into the wall closest to your breaker box, and like magic, your $200 a month bill is now 16 Dan, not true. There have been a number of third parties that have tested these claims, and they are, uh, let's use a very technical scientific term, hogwash. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.